Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast, folks. Talking about Robert Herrick again for part two. Um, Swim says the Mama Fishies come in with some selected Robert Herrick information. All right, let's learn about this, folks. Let's learn about, let's learn about this, folk, folks. He was little more than 14 months old when his father apparently committed suicide by quote-unquote falling from an upper-story window of his house in Cheapside on November 9th, 1592. His mother mother never remarried, and it seemed, seems more than a coincidence that father figures would loom large in the poet's Hesperides. Hesper, I don't know what that word means. By the age of 16... 16. Herrick was apprenticed to his uncle, but apparently found either Sir William Herrick or the goldsmith trade incompatible. For the 10-year apprenticeship, he was terminated after six years. That's a long-ass apprenticeship. At the comparatively advanced age of 22, Herrick matriculated at St. John's College, Cambridge. Between his graduation from Cambridge in 1617 and his appointment 12 years later as vicar of Dean Pryor in Devonshire. Tantalisingly little is known about Herrick's life. Man of mystery. It's almost certain, however, that some of this time was spent in London, where the budding poet at last found a surrogate father who lived up to his expectations, Ben Johnson. We read his stuff earlier. In 1630, 23, Herrick took holy orders, though there is no record of his being assigned to any particular parish. This step, at the mature age of 32, may indicate that he was unable to find preferment elsewhere. The next record of Herrick's activities is from 1627, when he became one of the several chaplains who accompanied George Villiers, 1st Duke of Buckingham, in a crusade to liberate French Protestants on the Isle of Ray. A disastrous combination of illnesses among the troops, effective military action by the French, and a storm at sea while Buckingham's ships were retreating to England resulted in the loss of two-thirds of the expedition. Small wonder that shortly thereafter in 1629, Herrick exchanged a life of danger for one of apparent safety by accepting a nomination to the vicarage of Dean Pryor, a hamlet in Devonshire, far to the southwest of London. He seems to have been the first poet, and still the only important poet, to gather practical all of his to gather practically all of his verses into one elaborately designed volume and see it through the presses. From the beginning of that volume, Herrick makes it plain that he expects his audience to read his entire book, to read it in the order in which it is printed, and above all, to read it with understanding and appreciation. Then, as now, such an understanding and appreciation require that the reader develop some kind of approach to the text, and here Herrick volunteers his services. Harris Speggs is the only major collection of poetry in English to open with a versified table of contents. In the absence of much evidence, it is difficult to determine the kind of reception Herospeeds received on its publication in 1648. 
What is certain is that this book did not explode upon the literary scene, nor did it during its lifetime bring him the literary fame he so avidly desired. He lived for 26 more years and died a poor country parson whom no fellow poet seems to have commemorated with a verse epitaph, much less an elegy. Most remarkably is that 26 years, in that 26 years, he appears to have ceased to write poetry. No extant poem from that period can, with absolute certainty, be attributed to him. Just as he predicted, Herrick's tombstone has vanished. The link also discusses fairly comprehensively poet, uh, his actual poetry. Well, there you go. Absolute failure, until after he died. Don't you love that? Isn't that just the story of all those old artists? Well, it's quite common, at least. Let's read a couple more of his poems. We'll just read. Uh, we'll just read a couple. We'll see how we go here. Let's start with this one, "The Primrose." Ask me why I send you here, this sweet infanta of the year. Ask me why I send to you this primrose thus bespurled with dew. I will whisper to your ears, the sweets of love are mixed with tears. Ask me why this flower does show so yellow-green and sickly too. Ask me why this stalk is weak, and bending yet it doth not break. I will answer, these discover what fainting hopes are in a lover. The Funeral Rites of the Rose The rose was sick, and smiling died, and being to be sanctified, about the bed there sighing stood the sweet and flowery sisterhood. Some hung the head while some did bring to wash her water from the spring, some laid her forth while others wept, but all a solemn fast there kept. The holy sisters, some among the sacred dirge, and Trentle sung, but ah, what sweets smelt everywhere, as heaven had spent all perfumes there. At last, when prayers for the dead and rites were all accomplished, accomplished, sorry, they weeping spread a lawny loom and closed her up as in a tomb. This one's called Cherry Ripe. Cherry ripe, 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 I cry, full and fair ones come and buy. Uh, if so be you, ask me where they do grow, I answer, there. Where my Julia's lips do smile, there's the land or cherry isle, whose plantations fully show all the year where cherries grow. Meditation for his mistress. You are a tulip seen today, but dearest of so short a stay, that where you grew scarce men can stay. You are a lovely July flower, yet one rude wind or ruffling shower will force you hence and in an hour. You are a sparkling rose in the bud, yet lost ear the chaste flush and blood can show where you or grew or stood. You are a full-spread, fair-set vine, and canned with tendrils love and twine, yet dried ere you distill your wine, 
You are like balm enclosed well in amber or some crystal shell, yet lost in you, you transfuse your smell. You are a dainty violet, with withered ear you can be set within the virgin's coronet. You are the queen, all flowers among, but die you must, fair maid, ere long, as he the maker of this song. One more for you. The light in disorder. A sweet disorder in the dress kindles in clothes a wantonness, a lawn about the shoulders thrown into a fine distraction. An erring lace which here and there enthralls the crimson stomacher, a cuff neglectful and thereby rubans to flow, confused lie, a winning wave deserving note in the tempestuous petticoat, a careless shoestring in whose tie I see a wild civility. Do more bewitch more than when art is too precise in every part. That's that one. All right, folks. That'll do us for today, I think. Hope you're having an excellent week. Um, I know I am. I'll see you tomorrow.